Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Well, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. You know, I said on Sunday, it's amazing what you remember from your childhood. Just, just how, you know, just little scenes jump out at you that you remember. For whatever reason, and I guess maybe it's because I've seen pictures of some of it. You remember pictures and you're like, I remember it. No, you've actually just seen the picture. But nevertheless, the, the, the winter of 1984, coming into that Christmas of 1984, really stands out in my mind because that is the year that um, my parents built their house that they live in, Okay. I still remember the footer and all that time, and we had moved uh, out of our house over on Pruitt, uh, Pruitt Road uh, there in Richardsville, and, uh, and we were moving back, uh, back next door to my grandmother, my great-grandmother. Uh, my mom and dad had just, built, uh, had just bought 13 acres there, and, and we're going to take the home that we had there uh, and, 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 uh, and build a house around it. We had a, a mobile home there, and my dad has always been resourceful. He took a mobile home and he built a house around the mobile home. You know, use everything he got, right? And so, but I still remember that Christmas. Two things. One, I got a pair of Superman pajamas, okay? <laughs> still remember that. I still have the picture of it. Um, one of the pictures that, uh, that, I, that I have is me standing in my great-grandmother's rocker recliner and, uh, and with my hands out like I was flying. And then somebody had held my cape up and hadn't got their hands out of the picture in time before it was taken. So their hands were there. I can still see that. Uh, and... My belly might have been hanging out even at that age, okay? <laughs> about four years old at that time, okay? About four years old. As I just, you know, curly hair, afro, all that stuff. So I remember that. But I also remember that winter, it came a really big snow. And my dad had been in the process of getting the foundation poured on our house. And I remember that winter, that when it came to the big storm around Christmas time of that year, we walked over there where it had been dug and they had poured it and all that stuff. And I remember jumping down on the foundation. You know, it's dug down, jumping down on the foundation. And I just remember walking around with my dad. And I don't know why he was doing this, but he, I guess he was just testing the furnace. But he'd walk around, he would, he would do that around on the foundation and just see, making sure it was all good and go. So it's just one of those things that stands out in my mind. You know, even then it became clear to me. I knew that the quality of your foundation mattered. That's what he was checking. He wanted to make sure that the foundation that he was about to build his house on was going to be strong enough. It was going to be good enough. Now, the folks in the little town of Pisa, Italy, probably knew that, right? They probably knew that you need to build a building on a firm foundation, but they did not choose wisely. How many of you guys have ever seen the Leaning Tower of Pisa in person? Anybody ever seen it in person? I haven't. Anybody? No? No? Well, I've seen lots of pictures of it, right? I mean, it's world famous. It's a world heritage site and all that. But when they began to build their little bell tower, that's what the Leaning Tower of Pisa is. It's the bell tower to the Pisa Cathedral there. It's the bell tower out behind it. When they began to build that joker in the year 1173, that's hard to believe. They started building it in the year 1173. They thought they had chosen a great spot. And a great spot. Everything was great, though, until they began to build the second story. And all of a sudden, they could see, 
hmm, something's starting to happen there. Something's starting to shift. Their tower began to lean a little. But they said, ah, it'll be all right. So up, up, up they went over the next two centuries. It took them two centuries to build the, the, the Tower of Pisa, the bell tower, tower of the Pisa Cathedral there. 183 feet tall, they went up into the air over the next two centuries. And as they went up, 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 it went over, over, over. Until at its worst leaning, and it, it, it leaned more and more every year. Some years it, it leaned more than other ones. And of course it was almost imperceptible, right, if you were watching it. But you could see that it was getting there. And at its height, that thing, and I'm no architect or engineer or anything, at its height of leaning, or its, 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 its highest length of leaning over, it was at 5.5 degrees, okay? So straight up, 5.5 degrees off. That equates to about 13 feet at the top off center. It was leaning 13 feet off center. And they said that at any moment, really, it could have fallen. In fact, there was a tower similar to it in Italy around 1989 that fell. And it caused them in 1989, 1990 to say, we've got to do something to, 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 to preserve the Tower of Pisa. And so they went in, and actually for a decade, you couldn't go in the thing. They were shoring it up. They were getting the foundation right. And they even corrected some of the, of the lean. But nevertheless, the foundation, why did it lean? because the foundation, at least on one side, wasn't firm. Guys, foundations matter. Foundations matter. And that's what Jesus says. He finishes up the Sermon on the Mount here tonight. As we finish up that sermon, that's what Jesus wants you and me to remember. It's interesting here. I heard a preacher just the other day. Uh, John Piper was saying, he, he was at, at, together for the Gospel Conference, and he got up, he was the last speaker, and he said this, he said, my message is the foundational message for all the other ones. He said, I probably should have went first. He said, but sometimes foundational messages are better remembered and so they go last. And so today, as we come to this one, this one probably should have been first in one sense. Right? Jesus is saying, listen, the foundation I'm about to give you, the, the, the thing I'm about to build here for you, is going to be really important. And so you need this foundation. He should have said that first, but he comes here at the end and he talks about the foundation here because he wants that to stick with us, okay? And so he gives us an illustration. I've told you lots of times before, one of the reasons that I love the scripture is that it's vivid, that it's real world, that we can touch, taste, smell, see. Jesus is a master at illustrating the scripture, these truths in ways that you and I can understand. And so he gives us an illustration about, about what he's talking about here. He doesn't just say, build on a firm foundation. He says an example. He gives us an illustration. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Would anybody read this loudly and proudly for us tonight? Matthew, 24, uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Who would read that for us? Everyone then who hears these words tonight does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been built on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. 
and great was the following. All right. So a really simple illustration, but very vivid, okay? Very vivid, okay? So four truths from this illustration for you to me and think about tonight, okay? Here are the four truths. The first one is this, is that every single one of us, everyone is building a house called life. Every one of us is building a house called life. I, um, you know, we, we just finished doing the upstairs at my house, and so, uh, you know, I've gotten a little bit of building experience, and it's just interesting how everything goes together, and if you get wrong on one area, it affects the other part, right? You know, that's one of the things that we had to do going through there. We had to correct a lot of stuff that the other builders had done with my dad going through and all that stuff. And so it's important when you build a house called life that you build it correctly, and you cannot build it correctly... Unless it has a firm foundation, unless it has a good, strong foundation, a, 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 a straight foundation, right? A, a, a foundation that's square. Because in the end, you'll build wrongly. One of the houses at Camp Lucon, where my wife and I served for years and went back and we did a camp this summer, there's a lodge there called New Song Lodge. And New Song Lodge, they had a guy come and lay the foundation for a porch. They were going to build a New Song Lodge. And they got done and they noticed that the guy built out further on one end of the, with the pier than on the other one, all right? And so guess what happened, right? When he built the deck on top of that then, it was off. And that's the way it is with life, guys. Every single one of us is building a house called life. Some of you have been building for a longer time than others, right? Some of us are new. You think about all the things that you learned in the life and you've tried to put it together and, and, and make something that, that God and, and you're proud of, Okay? But we're all building that house called life. But here's the second truth, is that everyone either builds a life on rock or on sand. Those are, there are no other options. Whatever you're building your life on, right? metaphorically, it's either rock or it's sand. Now, rock, we don't build ours necessarily on rock, right? We build it on concrete, but that's rock, okay? So what are the characteristics of rock that make it good to build a foundation on Talk to us here. What, is, what are those things? It's hard. It's hard. Yep, it is. Durable. Durable, yeah. It doesn't wash away. That's true. Let's think about sand on the other hand, though. Right? Sand's the opposite, isn't it? Right? Sand moves, wind blows it away, water washes away, it ebbs, it flows, it does all these other things. It's not... Um, it, 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 it's, 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 you can't trust it. It's not trustworthy. It's not stable. It's going to shift and move and do all those things, okay? So everyone is either building a life on rock or on sand. Now, notice it says, notice that when we think about rock, it's the rock here. There's only one rock that we can build our life on, okay? You know, you think about the exclusivity of the call of God. There's only one God Right? There's not many ways, there's not many gods, there's only one true God. There are not many saviors, there's only one savior in Jesus Christ. And everything else, everything else is sand. Whatever ism you want to put in there, okay? Whatever ism except for Christianity, right? Christism, all right, is sand and not a rock. The third thing, though, to think about here that we see in this passage here is that everyone's life will be hit by a storm, right? We're all building this house called life. We're either going to build that house, that life on a rock or on sand, 
But third, we can rest assured that everyone's life will be hit by a storm. We've all seen pictures. How many of you guys have ever had wind damage to your house? Right? Yeah. Wind damage, water damage. You know, again, in the building phase there, I messed up. What was that hurricane that came through Houston and did all that damage here recently? Hurricane Harvey. Remember when Hurricane Harvey came through? We messed up. The storm always comes from, like, the southwest, right? And this one did, too. But somehow it rained so hard, we had left our windows up in the upstairs on the northeast and still, man, the water got in there and, and ruined our ceiling and our, and our living room and all this stuff recently, guys. So there are going to be storms come. There are going to be storms that come. Let's think about here for just a moment. What are some of the storms of life that you and I often face that come and hit our life? What are some of those storms? And maybe, let's put it this way. What are some of the storms that, that you've experienced? Maybe you want to get more even personal than that. What are some of the storms that you've experienced in life? Health. What's that? Your health? Yeah. See, Amara, recently you, you, you were diagnosed with what a, a year or two ago? Um, melanoma in my lymph nodes. Yeah, melanoma in your lymph nodes. That's right. And so you went through chemotherapy and radiation and all those things and now remission. Yeah. But that shook you to your very foundation, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. What other storms have you faced in your life? Job loss, yeah. That's, uh, man, you, you just wonder, what am I going to do, right? It's scary. It's, uh, how long had you been at that job, Jim? One out of ten, one out of two. Yeah, but nevertheless, ten or two. Twice in three years. Twice in three years, yeah. That's, that, that's life-shaking, isn't it? Any other storms? Your child's health. Your child's health, yeah. Share with us about your child's health in particular. That's right, yeah, with diabetes, yeah. And so, again, that's, that's a storm that hits us. Anybody else have a storm that they could share? <laughs> As he's sitting by his daughter over there. <laughs> yeah, but she came around, thank, thank the Lord, right? It turned out okay, turned out okay. But you know what? You know, there are probably a lot of us that can stand and testify. You know, my children aren't old enough to really give me a lot of trouble yet, but it's coming. You know, I've got one to be 13. I'm going to have my first teenager here in just a few months in October. And uh, you all know the storm of the teenage years. And even into the early adulthood and the stress and the things that come into your life. And you just pray, you know, that they've got that foundation. You, you've, you've tied them to a foundation, you hope, and you've encouraged them to attach to that foundation that it carries them through. You know. What's that? Death, that's right. And, and CMR, let me say, we're so glad to have you back. Uh, CMR has been in Costa Rica for the last two months taking care of her mother's estate after her mother passed away. In, uh, was that in March? That was February 24th. February 24th when your mother passed. passed away February 27th. Oh, very, okay. That, you left yeah, the 24th and she passed on the 27th, yeah. And so um, it does, it does. You know, every one of us have probably at least one person in our life who has passed that really and just shook us. I mean, we grieved. Um, you know, uh, just me personally, I've, I've been fairly fortunate in that regard. You know, the, the ones that I've lost have been you know, like grandparents. And, you know, you, you expect grandparents to pass or, or the elders to pass. But some of you have, have lost loved ones early in life, way before a person normally passes. 
And that's a storm that hits you hard. It hits you hard. Anybody else have a storm they'd like to share? She was saying to death when Brenda and Monica lost their baby. That's right. That's right, yeah. When she miscarried, that's right. Benjamin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that, that you just don't prepare for. And, and it's hard to even quantify or even qualify the loss of that when you lose a, a child um, in that regard. And, um, or even a, a child that, that, that has been born. You know, some of you have probably lost children uh, who, you know, were wh- whatever age, not just a miscarriage, but even a, one that you cared for for several years uh, and, and walked and talked with you and all that. And it, it, it hurts, it stings. Anybody else have a storm? Financial loss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was that over here? Divorce. Divorce, yeah. Divorce is one of those things, you know, I, I still remember from the movie Fireproof there when that guy gives the illustration, you know, the, the salt and pepper shaker together, glued together, and if you pull them apart, you're going to tear something, you're going to break something. And divorce, it, it, it always tears something. Okay, it's, it's very, very uh, difficult. So there's all sorts of, of storms that come into our lives. We could be here all day, okay, talking about different storms. Maybe it's, it's, it's news that your children, you know, you said disobedient children, but maybe not necessarily disobedient to you, but maybe disobedient to the Lord even, right? They're, they're walking a path that is, that is clearly against uh, the revealed will of God. God has said, don't do that. Uh, but nevertheless, they're walking that path. We all have life storms, okay? So everyone is building up house called life. Everyone either builds a life on the rock or on the sand. Third, everyone's life will be hit by a storm. But here's what Jesus says. Finally, only a life built on the rock will withstand the storm. Right? Look what he says here in the passage. He says, the rain fell, the floods came. Let me start back at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. But vice versa, the other man, the other, the other side of the coin, everyone, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell and great was that fall. You can just picture in your mind piles of scrap wood, broken, torn, tattered, just a pile of rubble there. That's what happens to those who build their lives on the sand. Okay? Only a life built on the rock will withstand the storm. So here's tonight's takeaway for us. Build your life on the firm foundation of God's Word. Let me say that again. Build your life on the firm foundation of God's Word. You say, no, why are you not saying, Ben, to build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus? Well, because Jesus says in verse 24, everyone then who hears what? These words of mine. Okay? So the words of Jesus here are the firm foundation that he's pointing to. His words are the rock here, okay? 
And by extension, the whole of Scripture, all of what Jesus says, God says, what God says, the Bible says, okay? So build your life on the firm foundation of God's Word. In other words, build on the book, build on the Bible. So how do you do that? Jesus tells us here, how do you build your life on the rock? How do you build it on the book? You do what? Study. Study? Okay, well, that, that, that certainly leads to that. There you go. That's right, Ron. You do what it says. That's how you build your life on the rock. You do what it says. And so, thinking back over the last, what, nine months or something, as we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount here on Wednesday nights, I'm just curious for you all. I gave you an assignment a moment ago. What is your favorite passage from the sermon and why? And then secondly, which passage... Do you feel like you need the most grace from God to accomplish in your life? Because it, it, it maybe it's just the toughest passage for you to live out. All right? So who, who would like to, to share with us what's your favorite passage from the Sermon on the Mount and why? All right, read it for us. Why is that one, Melody, your, your favorite? It's my favorite and probably one of the most favorite ones. It's just hard. In the society that we live in, it's hard not to worry about, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Just, you know, your kids, your job, your Life's just hard. Life's hard. <laughs> That's right. But praise God we have this in the Scripture, right, to remind us um, that we don't have to be anxious because God cares for us. Who else? Favorite passage. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn, for they uh, shall be comforted. Why is that, Faith? Because um, in the 12 years that we've been back here, uh-huh. um, it's like every year we've had somebody close to us die. Yeah. And so coming up both just a bit of disease in the morning. And that's just a promise that I go back to and just send them inside. That's right. And we would never know comfort if we never knew mourning. You know, the fullness, anyway, of comfort. So, absolutely. Very good. Who else? Share tonight. Your favorite verse from the Sermon on the Mount and why? Yeah, Jeannie. Well, I guess mine's a group. It's uh, yeah. seven, uh, seven. Uh, talking about asking when you get to Jesus. Uh-huh. I love that. God is unashamedly inviting us to come after Him, right? God does not play hide and seek, does He? Right? If we're seeking, we'll be found. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Who else would share tonight? Matthew 7, 12. Okay, read it for us. So why is that your favorite, Pearl? Absolutely. You know, in fact, um, 
You know, you think about, you know, over here in, in Matthew 5, verse 38, you know, where it says, You've heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for, tooth, uh, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That passage right there is a good illustration of treating others how you want to be treated, right? Now, I think it is. You know, as you tie those together, man, I remember when we preached through that one right there, we were all like, man, that is, uh, I, my flesh doesn't want to do that. Right. What's that scripture? What's the reference there? That was Matthew 5, 38, forward there. And even right after that, it says, love your enemies. You know? Again, that's a, a beautiful illustration of treat others how you want to be treated. Who else has one? Verse 13. Okay. Of which chapter? Chapter 5. Uh-huh. You are the salt of the earth. For the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Uh, Why is that your favorite, Chan? Well, uh, you know, since I was about 19 years of age, uh, God laid on my heart the importance of understanding uh, Scripture as it relates to creation. Mm-hmm. So I've been studying that my whole life. It's just can't get away from it. And I feel like there are so many ways in which Christians have sort of taken a step back, taken a step back, taken a step back. And so today our uh, institutions of higher learning ex- exclude, they, they may even mock, they, they exclude the uh, that, uh, I call it a reality. But even, sure. even the discussion and so, therefore, are we, indi- are we indistinguishable from the world when it comes down to it? Mm-hmm. At times, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I feel convicted to stand. Good, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's switch gears then. Which one, as you're looking here, do you believe for you is the toughest passage from the Sermon on the Mount, and why? What is the toughest one? And why? Which one do you need the most grace of God from God? Do you think to fulfill what He's asking you to do here? Because none of these are, are easy, right? I mean, these are all anti-flesh. These are all anti-world. Melody's already said that her uh, favorite one is also which needs the most grace for is to not worry or not be anxious.
Yeah. Very good, April. Thank you. Who else would share from this right here that the one you, you feel like you need the most grace from God? I'll throw in chapter 7, verse 1, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, that, that's one of the ones that, you know, um, you can ask my wife. I'm, I tend to be kind of a critical person. I'm, I'm the one the more of a pessimistic person. Um, I'm the one that sees the glass half empty instead of half full. And so I, I'm quick to be critical. And uh, with the grace of God, one of the things I often ask God to do is help me to see people how you see them, God. And uh, that changes everything, right? That changes everything. And it also goes back to what Pearl said a moment ago with treat others how you want to be treated. I hate to be judged unfairly. And I shouldn't judge others unfairly myself. So I need a lot of grace from God in that area. Anybody else? Okay, read it for us. And if you treat only your own people, what are you doing more than others? You're not even begging to do that. You know, it's just a challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so easy just to go to those that like us. And not, not just like us, but who are like us. Same, you know, yeah. Good word, Wes. One more. One more. Anybody else want to share one? Yeah, Jeannie. 721, read it for us. In fact, it's a hard saying, and we're going to cover that Sunday in the new series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the new series, Radical. So that's where we're going to be Sunday, Matthew seven twenty one. And so you all come with your own interpretation and see if I get it right, okay, uh, for Sunday. So guys, everything that Jesus has said here, not just here in the Sermon on the Mount, but the entirety of Scripture, we need to build our life on it. This is our firm foundation. How do we build on it? We do what it says do. That means positively, right? We are to go after these things, but also negatively, we are to refrain from things, right? Whatever God says do, do. Whatever he says don't do, don't do it. That's how we build our life on the firm foundation of God's word, all right? So when we think about the firm, day, the, 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 the firm foundation of God's word, first is we just, just three things here. To wrap this up tonight, first, when you think about building your life on the firm foundation of God's Word, first we have to understand that the Bible is God's inerrant, His inerrant, unchanging Word. Right? Remember when Paul said, if anybody comes back to you, if it's an angel, if it's anybody, even if it's me, if they come back and they, they tell you something different than what I've already delivered to you, he says, let them be anathema. Let them go to hell. Let them be a curse. Guys, the Bible has, is the once all delivered repository of truth. 
It does not change. It is not open to opinion. It is not something like sand that you can mold and shape and do all these different things. They used to do something here, uh, here in Bowling Green called sand in the city. Do you all remember that? Anybody, everybody ever see that? When I worked at Life Skills, I was on the sand in the city team. And we did this amazing fishbowl thing. and all. It was just amazing some of the designs they did. You can take sand and make it look like anything. In fact, one of the, one of the sand things, the, the most impressive one to me, was one of, of Goliath laid out. Um, and uh, it had the big sword there and all. It was just amazing, the detail. But guys, sand is moldable. It can be shaped by whatever mold you put on it. That's not the Word of God. Right? Uh, I'm going to get this wrong, okay? But back, back, back around the days of the Reformation, they talked about Scripture being the norm of norms that cannot be normed. In other words, it's the measure. It's the mold to which we are to be shaped by. We don't shape it. It is unshapeable. It's the once delivered unchangeable, inerrant Word of God. We are to be conformed to it, okay? So that's what the Bible is. It's inerrant. And because it's inerrant, it's unchangeable. God has given us everything we need. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. We could go on and on with the nature of the Word of God. But in other words, it's something, it's a rock, right, that we can build our our, our life on. But secondly, I would say to you that following it leads to a victorious life in God's eyes. Now remember, the the person that built their, their life on the rock How did it fare in the storm? Great, it stood. That's a victory, right? That's a victory. And that's our life, guys. Now remember, that's that's important language that I said there in the end, that last prepositional phrase. Following the Bible leads to a victorious life in God's eyes. We're not trying to please the world, right? We're not running for the trophy of the world. We're running for God's smile, for God's trophy. We want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you will go by the book, you'll be victorious. I was talking with Pastor Tom today, and he said, man, have you ever heard the story of of Gene Van Devalde? I I may be pronouncing that wrong. He's a golfer. Anybody know golf? Gene Van Devalde? Something like that. I may be getting it wrong here. Well, he was leading in 1999 in the British Open, all right? If you ever watch the golf tournament on TV, you'll notice that the, the caddies often pull out this little book. He and the golfer will look carefully at it. It's called the yardage book, all right? And uh, before the tournament, the, 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 the golfer, the caddy, they typically walk the course. They make notes on what they should do at different spots on the course. And so it's the final day. Van Devald was up by three strokes. And he came down to the last hole. The last hole. All he had to do to win was to shoot a double bogey. <laughs> I could do that, right? I mean, double bogey, that's, that's what I do. I'm good at that. That's all he had to do. All he had to do was shoot a six on a par four on the 18th hole. And uh, that looks simple, right? And actually, it, it was, right? It was simple. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's a tough, it was a tough uh, uh, par four, uh, hole 18. It had a little marsh in the middle of it and all these other things. And so the yardage book would say to tee off with a short iron, right? You want to lay up. I hate laying up, don't y'all? I don't want to. I want to get out the big wood, 
busted. I'm going to go over that, Marshall. That's what Vandevaldi that's what, that's what Van thought, okay? So the book said, use the iron, lay up. He said, uh-uh. So he pulled out the big wood, and he hit that thing right into some tall grass. Well, the book said, if you get into this tall grass, get out your iron and hit back into the fairway. Just over, just don't even try to go to the hole. Just hit it over in to the fairway. He said, no way, dude. I'm smoking this thing in this grass, and it is gone. I'm going to just take grass with it, right? Well, he did, and he landed in the marsh, okay? He hit it again. He got the wrong club. He went the wrong direction. So now he's at four strokes. He wades in the water to get it out. He contemplates trying to hit it out of the water. There's literally a picture of Vandevald with his britches rolled up, standing in the water over the ball like he's going to hit the ball out of the water. But he takes a drop instead. Well, his next shot lands in a sand trap. Lands in a sand trap. And finally, he gets it in the hole. And when he gets it in the hole, all he needed was a six to win. He got it in seven. So he had to go to a playoff, and he ended up losing in the playoff. It was the worst. You know, the, 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 when it talks about here, when it says right here, it says, The rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat that house. It fell and great was the fall of it. That's, that was Vandeval's 18th hole right there. But here's the thing, guys. In every one of those, what did he ignore? He ignored the book, didn't he? He ignored the book. He was going to try to do life his way. And it ended in failure. You know people, maybe even you in some areas of your life, you're trying to do life by your own book. You see what the Word of God says. And you say, you know, that sounds outdated to me. I'm going to do it my way, okay? Well, my way ends in out of bounds. It ends in hazards. It ends, it ends in the sand trap. And so again, guys, I say to you, I say to you, following the Bible leads to a victorious life. If he would have just followed the book, that golfer would have had victory. And finally, I want to say this to you as we just sort of wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. I say this to you. The time to build your life on the rock is before the storm comes. Because, beloved, listen to me. When it comes, you don't have time to run to the rock then because it's already washing you away. So now, you say, man, I'm, life's pretty good, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of easy, you know? I don't have any storms in my life. Now's the time to tie your life to that rock, to dig into the Word of God, to ingest, to eat the Word of God, to make it part of who you are so that when that rain comes, you're steady and safe and secure. Now, some of you built your life on sand and you've had that big fall. The beauty of God is that there are second chances, right? Right, there are second chances. He, he, he brings you the, the insurance check and says, build it back. Right? In Jesus Christ, it's already been paid. And you get a chance to build it back. As we think about life, I'm begging you, I'm begging me to build your life on the firm foundation of God's Word. And when that storm comes, you will stand firm. And we know that the greatest revelation, let me just say that in the end here, the greatest revelation of the Word of God is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the first step, if you're going to build your life on the rock, 
is that you connect to Jesus, right? You receive the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Repent and believe on Jesus. That's the first step. So if you've never done that, we pray that even tonight, we've checked the uh, Constitution and bylaws at Eastwood, and you can get saved on Wednesday night even, okay? (laughs) All right? So if the Lord Jesus, if you're here tonight and you're not in Christ, tonight would be the perfect night to repent and believe on Jesus and be saved. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.